Hi everyone, this is the second season of I Hope This Message Finds You Well, a podcast on curating. My name is Chris Dittel and with me is my friend and colleague Eloise Sweetman. In this podcast, we talk to curators about their approach to curating, how they began and what they love about the profession. Today's episode is with Zipola Elders. Zipora Elders is a curator who lives and works in Amsterdam and Berlin. She was the director of Kunstfort by Fauvhausen, an art space and UNESCO heritage site in Harlemmermeer until the beginning of 2022. Recently, she became the head of the curatorial team and outreach at Gropius Bau in Berlin. Zipora is also the co-curator of the International Quadrinale Sonsbeek 20-24 in Arnhem, the Netherlands. One of the first questions we ask our guests, especially those who don't know so well in person, is what led them to become a curator or how they arrived to this path in terms of education experience, but also maybe mentorship or influential moments that made you think about becoming a curator? Yeah, I I don't know. It somehow felt, feels very close to how I like to be in the world. And this is, I think it's, I mean, my childhood memories already are about observing and bringing together elements, visual elements, but also sound elements and other elements in certain constellations that I found interesting and making, you know, images or stories with those and and collecting things, searching for detail, asking for stories and a huge curiosity, but also really a love for or interest in aesthetics and also aesthetics that were less familiar to me. Yeah, so that was already there at a young age. And I think I I have a creative family, not necessarily educated in uh, in art or anything, but there was this, like this uh, self-taught creative practices so music and dance well basically that and then I was taken to and it was quite special uh, for us to go to an art place so it was not that we were in a certain class where that was done on a on a regular basis but we did go sometimes to a museum or something and uh, especially Museum Arnhem I remember very well because I'm from Nijmegen and then I, I really was fascinated by also uh, the works in the in the garden, but also, yeah, Pijke Koch, I remember, and Charlie Torop and these things, and and just painting and how paintings are made and why things are figurative or realistic, etc. And just very basic questions. And then, yeah, it kind of went on and on. I was interested in history, what people were wearing, and and color combinations, <laughs> interiors. And then, I mean, it all led somehow to curating. I cannot say differently. And then I guess I'm a little bit 
people sometimes say about me, I'm not sure actually, but people say about me that tend to say that I'm a little bit of an Einzelgänger or a lone wolf, so to say. I don't know about those categories, but maybe apparently I'm perceived like that a little bit. I'm also, I was raised as an only child. I'm, I'm, I have an elder brother and sister, but I was mostly alone. So for me, it was also a little bit, I don't know, I don't know, understanding the world or making it graspable for myself. Mm, yeah, nice. We, we were also wondering, because we both work mostly as freelancers and from time to time we are associated to some institution, but... For me personally, really working in art came from this, like, let's see where I can tap into things that interested me. And I never really thought about connecting my work to an institution. Well, maybe for short amounts of time, part time here and there. But I was wondering, because it seems your trajectory in your profession is mostly going through institutions. Mm -hmm. And I was also wondering how you think about that. What was perhaps the the connection between these various institutions that you worked at. I know you worked at the FOM in Amsterdam. You were yeah. also director of Kunstfort in Fifehausen. Trying to pronounce it correctly and so on. If you could tell a little bit about that, how you went from one institution to the other, what was interesting for you to work with these institutions in particular? Well, yeah, I think what's... So I do understand, I mean, it is interesting to be also not too dependent on institutions. So work as a freelancer, uh, connect your own, you know, your own practice with, you know, tapping in, like you're saying, the like communities or organizations or collectives or other individuals, etc. Humans, more than humans, there's a lot possible there and it gives a certain free space to operate. And of course, also more in a more, let's say, practical sense that you can, you know, choose your own hours and all these things. And of course, it comes with a lot of precarity as well. I'm understanding that too. I think I've been freelancing also uh, a lot on the side, actually, or when it made sense, it was a little bit fluid. So I, I get that. And I thought about it as well. And somehow at this point, at least in my path, I'm thinking that it is quite quite a challenge to work in an institution. And I like to take that challenge because I think that's, I mean, we all have our skills and our, you know, things we like and we don't like. And I am interested in how to, yeah, how to take the challenge from to be in, work in an institution and also maybe be against certain aspects of institutions and power structures anyways, and, and, and still work within that constellation. And what I was saying about being this child, et cetera, and obviously after that I went to school and then to another school and... There was um, this was a little bit of a, a gymnasium and then a very known one. And I kind of ended up in all those moments somehow through the friends I made. And they were a little bit more with parents that, you know, went to university and did a PhD even. And that was very, you know, from a different world for me at that moment. And actually lured me about, you know, expressionism or whatever. It was really like, yeah, apparently my friends in primary school were already taught about that. And then somehow I found out that, yeah, I kind of survive apparently, maybe not easily, but rather okay in institutional contexts. So albeit like a gymnasium or like a little bit of a, you know, um, ambitious uh, primary school and then after that the university and then 
So somehow I I was kind of fluid and I had the luck that also in my high school, there was this possibility that if you got bored easily and it was how it was formulated or phrased, you could uh, do your own things. So I found a way to to be a writer and, and, and do drama, uh, theater classes and go to a film course and all these things. And then math, I didn't do so much. <laughs> and, then, and then I had to catch up in the end, which was like a hassle. And, and that was fun. So I think I had a bit of luck with the people I encountered and the places. And for me, somehow it worked out. And I guess it's a little bit, again, this lone wolf somehow integrating in power structures and then surviving there, but secretly or maybe not so secretly also changing it from that position. And I feel that's what I did a little bit and how I also moved from one place to the other. So I went to the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam as a curator in training. And then I did some assisting cultural assistance work there. And then I was actually approached to go to foam as a curator, to become a curator there. So I did it. And I, yeah, I was not so old back then. And then after two years, I thought, well, I want to work in an, if I work in an institution, I want to work with also other things than photography. Not that it's necessarily that, but still it's of course a museum for photography. And also I was kind of fascinated because then also I was kind of more or less approached about the Kunstford, which I didn't know yet. And then I was kind of intrigued by this weird forts in the defense line, the water defense line of Amsterdam. I mean, what is that? And I thought, well, I can be a director there and do my thing and then see how it goes. And and that's how I ended up there. And yeah, it really became a home for me. Mm, yeah. How does it feel to, because you uh, you have a show now at Kunstfort, right? And it's your final show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and but you've been sort of leaving you know, in the last couple of months, how does it feel to, you know, leave and after, you know, you're leaving home in some way? Um, I can imagine it's hard, but also exciting. Yeah, it's again this, I mean, I have a certain trust, I guess, in how, in other people, maybe, and other beings and energies in picking up on my way of working and if that kind of connects then I th- I mean that's a little bit actually also with the Sandberg it always happened like that and then I when I see connections maybe for me obvious for the outside world not so much then I go for it and that also happened with the Gropiuspau but then of course I had to leave the Kunstwerts where I talked a lot about with, uh, with both actually about this and then eventually we made the decision to do it and then with this you know soft way out <laughs> and so that there was enough time to also find a successor which they did greatly I think so yeah it's all in good hands and exciting I think also for them and yeah for me I always I mean I had to think about what a Kunstfort could be and I don't think a place like that and maybe you know the same you have to say with Shimmer but when you I, I mean it's not that it should be something important just because I wanted to be something important. For me, it was thinking about what does it mean to have a fort which already has some kind of programming, which is also considered UNESCO heritage, which is related to a pre polder kind of landscape in Haarlemmermeer, which is the municipality of Schiphol. It's very close to Amsterdam, but it's definitely not Amsterdam. It's close to Haarlem, but it's also definitely not Haarlem. I mean, what, what does that all mean? And I was interested in what... But it also could be, and it could be for me, uh, as it could be a retreat for me, 
somehow. And of course, for soldiers or whatever, historically, I thought it could be that for artists as well, especially those in Amsterdam, what was already, which was already in, what was it, 2016, suffering under losing space for art and money, of course. But it was very important for me to then make it, give it like a certain profile so that people would recognize it, so that the artists that would work then put their trust in it, be visible and, and would be able to show their work there. And I hope we were able to do that. And then my final show was really like a personal bordering on the, it was kind of playing and challenging standards of maybe quality and professionalism. I want to pick up on what you said about the texts in your last exhibition being personal notes or, or reflections on artists or anecdotes, how you met or how you got actually enchanted by their work. Because I uh, know that you also write quite frequently and I did read uh, some of your writing. Actually, one of your articles was recommended to me by Ellen Gallagher, who during a meeting mentioned to me how much she liked your text because it was also so personal and I noticed you write oftentimes from this very personal point of view drafting from your experience bringing in your family history and I was wondering about that I'm interested in in this myself what the personal means in the larger how, how to connect the personal to profound questions and I think you do that in your writing and seems also a reflection on art. So if you could tell a little bit more about that. Oh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to read it and, and saying these friendly things. Yeah, let me think. So the writing has been also there for a long time because it was part of this bored children kid thing <laughs> in the high school <laughs> possibility. So I did the, the, the newspaper, yeah, I just call them there. So, <laughs> so the writing has always been there and also, when I had to earn money, I did a few things here and there. And so then it, yeah, it remains. The thing about, yeah, well, the show, of course, also was a little bit my chance to do something like that uh, for maybe not for the last time. But I mean, of course, I'm now a chief curator at a quite a well-known institution in Berlin. So, I mean, I cannot say <laughs> two weeks on beforehand, I'm going to make a few anecdotal and wall texts. And that's, I mean, maybe I can at a certain point, but I, I knew it wouldn't for sure not be the first year <laughs> in which I could do that. So that was also a little bit like my, let's say, a rebellious way of curating and, and you know, my joy. And then about the writing in, in general, yeah, it's it also comes out like that a little bit sometimes that I feel how indeed how can you reflect on, you know, larger questions maybe that are somehow bussing around in the art world and maybe in society in general in the Netherlands or um, a little bit also outside of the Netherlands. These things that come up, this this notion of care that has been very apparent in the, in the art world for the past years and science fiction was also there, uh, which also was a program line, I think a little bit before that at Kuntford, but it was also like really a response to this architecture and what happened there. And then connecting to your personal stories, because when you want to make a point sometimes or want to say something for others as well, but without exposing them, it's sometimes the best way, or at least for me, it was a good way to address things without maybe, you know, pushing it on people. And that's what I try to do. And sometimes I, no, actually more and more often, I deliberately chose to not make it too well-written in a very journalistic way, 
because I feel I'm a little bit bored also with how uh, media wants everything, not everything, but a lot to be very, it, it really becomes information, communication of information rather than, you know, sharing feelings, ideas, conceptions, failures, misconceptions, doubts, etc. So that's in the text, which are, yeah, it's of course Dutch, sometimes English, but anyways, there is also like a weird flow sometimes in it, especially also the uh, the text that I wrote for the catalog for Sonspeak is almost a little bit, it's not unreadable, but it has different moments and different rhythms, etc. And it's a deliberate choice to also make it not too understandable. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit annoyed sometimes about people always asking for clarity in your opinion and clarity on what you have to say, because what we have to say apparently became capital. Also on social media, it became content. And I'm just, I mean, someone who loves imagination and craft and skill and aesthetic, it's just, it, <laughs> it really can make me a little bit pissed sometimes. So I'm not sure if this is an answer, but... Yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, thinking about it, then it becomes a kind of product to consume, an identity and an idea to consume. And I'm also interested in this kind of what to reveal, what to conceal, and how how to also hold space within that for imagination, enchantment, Mm -hmm. perhaps, for others, instead of creating a, a product of one's experience which yeah we are kind of driven to to do that as the world operates right yeah i find it what's uh, especially the the thing with the personal i think is something is of course something else than talking about identity but identity because i mean it's very capitalized on as well and this is yeah, this is a fine line. Also in my writings, I mean, you know, of course you are writing about, because everyone has a background and most backgrounds are bicultural also. So you are talking about that. And then, you know, what happened, the trauma that happened, the, the joys that happened. I mean, that's what life is about, you know, and also where maybe the moments are that you learn to appreciate art or maybe get art or whatever, what that means, or, or uh, get excited about art and um, or making so I'd like to share that, but I also, yeah, it's a fine line when it becomes somehow, yeah, I mean, you know, that it will also, people will also frame you maybe through those personal stories. But anyways, when it's out there, it's out there. It's also a choice you make. <laughs> yeah. What do you love about curating? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a luxury that we got to work with all these different faces and everything. I mean, it's like, yeah. Yeah, you were asking me this about uh, the personal, and I think I often got the reply and the response of artists after a studio visit that they were a little bit, yeah, surprised. Maybe not. I don't know if that's the right word, but anything, uh, something like overwhelmed, but not in a bad way, <laughs> by how personal it can get. Apparently, a studio visit with me, which also means that I cannot do so many studio visits in a short amount of time. <laughs> I always need some time to recuperate and, 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 and kind of, yeah, I don't know, to, to process. So for me, it's it's quite an intense thing. And of course, it's different artists, different studio visits, but often it's like, um, it, it takes time for me to to be there, to uh, align with the studio. With, and, and yeah, I very much like studio visits because it's, of course, as you know, not always happening in a studio. But it's happening somewhere that an artist chose often. And then you 
and if you're in the house or in a space where they live or work, then you can also, you know, see the materials they work with and the surroundings, how they set up their furniture and, and, and working materials and everything. And I find it very interesting because then I start to read, I think. I think it's a form of reading how they work, who they are. And then I start, of course, asking why they became artists and what they see as what art means or what art, what it, yeah, what, what it means to be an artist in this, in their uh, environment, in this society and all these questions. And then questions about where they, they come from and, and in the sense of background um, choices they made for education or not and uh, places to live. And, and that I find very interesting. And then it's not needed to appreciate an artwork, but it is an exciting part for me. And then I think maybe the moment that it becomes really exciting is then when somehow it clicks in my head where the work could fit in and what I would like to say about it. Yeah, the studio visits are, I, I think, uh, so interesting. Like my partner is an artist and he always really prepares, you know, the space in preparation for uh, a studio visit. And he also feels that it's like, quite an important thing to invite a curator or anybody into the studio because it is such a vulnerable place. And so, like, I think it must be very, it must be really nice for artists to, you know, have you come into the studio and be vulnerable with them in a, in a way if they're, if they're, if it's about being um, about the personal. And the studio visit, I, I think, is something that we haven't yet talked about, actually, because we both do have different thoughts on the studio yeah. visit do you want to do you have i relish i love studio visits too and i oftentimes joke we will cut this out or maybe not that <laughs> i hate going on dates because i feel like it's i don't have any energy left for that because all my energy about these kind of intimate meetings or vulnerable meetings goes into my work yeah because i actually <laughs> love this what you mentioned vulnerability and i really like when someone allows me to be open and they also perhaps open their work and mm -hmm. the environment for conversations. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. No, I think this intimacy is really precious. Yeah, it feels like a luxury that yeah. we're yeah, invited. But then I maybe, yeah, it's, I mean, but then the, yeah, the energetic joy somehow comes always with the installation. And, I'm, and that's also what I like about working in a smaller art space or something like that, because you, you get to do it yourself. And yeah. that's, uh, uh, yeah, it's really, and also with Sonspeak, actually, because I was working a lot on the exhibition part of it and then cycling around in the park and then from the churches to the churches and, and all these places and the collection, the groen and everything. And then it was really amazing to be, you know, in this this energy of people building and constructing, but also smaller and just hanging. I, I liked that at foam as well, actually, to work with, uh, because you're working with image, of course, and then photography and then really hanging around. I think my first exhibition there had about a thousand prints, which was wow. like, or if it's if it was not more, well, it was by Araki also, which was like a, <laughs> an interesting start. But it was really, uh, really cool to do that. Yeah, yeah. How about your work in Gropius, Bobby? Because you have just started there. And yeah. I know before your program at Kunstford, for instance, was quite thematically focused and artist focused. But now you are a chief curator 
and curator of outreach, if I know. Uh, yeah. Honestly, maybe you could share a little bit about these plans and maybe also how it differs from uh, yeah. your work in previous institutions. I think it's 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 actually quite connected in the sense that I was the managing director of the Kunstwort, which is not so easy because it consists of two foundations, a lot of volunteers. It says seven hectares. I don't know. Yeah, how you say this, but it's it's it's, it's big. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And uh, there's people, restaurants, people work in the studios, etc. So there was a lot of management direction directorship going on there as well. And it's really about leadership, also with people working for you, a team of uh, approximately ten people in and out, and then thirty more volunteers. And I was very much into HR because I think it's important to have a fair practice and to be a good home to invite artists. And I think that's, that's yeah, uh, it's important and also equally important. And then as a, as a chief curator, of course, you manage the, the whole curatorial department. So also, again, the curatorial vision and the leadership come together there. And that somehow fits me quite well, this combination of leadership and curatorial, because I believe that's, well, if your skill is somehow in leadership, you can organize a setting in which art can thrive and artists can thrive. And I'm very excited about that. It might sound a little bit. I mean, of course, it's also about administration, all these things. Uh, but I don't I don't I find it actually good because you get to set a framework and also challenge structures through knowing them very well. And I mean, yeah. of course, there's different strategies. You can be inside an institution, outside an institution to change it. And I think both are helpful and necessary. And I just, yeah, at least like you were saying in the past years and all my moments in my path, I figured out somehow I survive in institutions and can make a change there in a way and already from education onwards. So that's what I'm doing. And yeah, the new thing is that curatorial departments now merged with Vermittlung and Outreach. So Vermittlung is mediation slash education. And that's why that's also in my title. And I very much believe in that. But of course, it's still the traditional vision, of course, being that curatorial is exhibition making and is, you know, hierarchy wise higher somehow. And then comes Vermittlung and Outreach. Now we are trying to merge it together and integrate it, which is yeah, a new step. And I knew that well, it would be part, of course, of my task and, and and I like to do that and I also like to do it in Germany in Berlin because it's a different context and I'm very interested in how political and governmental and nation-state construct contexts uh, influence how we work as art workers. Yeah I'm actually quite interested in that too because oftentimes you know when talking about curatorial labor there's oftentimes the kind of the public persona of the curator and of course, you know, the relationship to art and artists. But you also mentioned at the beginning that you are still connected to the Netherlands through like being on different boards and advisory councils and so on. And I feel like this administrative background work and the kind of responsibility that comes with it is also yeah. quite important, which is also not oftentimes talked about and maybe not everyone is engaged with that to the same extent. It's not so much a question, but more like a reflection. No, I mean, I often got a question. Why are you in this free, uh, how do you say it's not free, you know, not unpaid advisory committee? Or why are you doing this board work? And because when you want to be an international curator, you need to have a lot of publication in art magazines and art platforms, etc. Obviously, I'm having that too. But I mean, for me, it's 
I mean, in the end, it's also about, yeah, I'm very concerned uh, with uh, audience and, and, and society. And I think it's not only, um, for me, it's not interesting if the only audience of art and the things I'm doing and making is, well, in the first place, audience as such. And in the second place, um, an arts professional slash professional audience that is like this, you know, back and forth ego thing of telling each other that we're important. I mean, I'm. Uh, I, I know it's, it can be flattering, and the openings can be really great. And some, so this, this has. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a very attractive scene in some regards. But I mean, in the end, yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm very concerned with, yeah, with society and then and, and the position of art in society. And I think that art can, you know, hold space, like you said, for imagination, for creativity, for making, for inspiration, for hope. And also for young people, children, people coming from marginalized uh, groups to feel the agency to imagine and to make well, those two things and to build maybe and to build in, in a world or build their own world. And so that I like. And then, you know, yeah, I, I found out that everything is structured already through bureaucratics and formal power structures. And there's people in leadership positions that maybe have other values. And then I thought, well, if I want to make a change and somehow I can do the work in those positions because people listen to me and I can speak that language, then I do it. This is a very abstract fantasy, almost like kind of way of explaining what art means or what art is. But of course, this is then happening in, the, in, in our reality, uh, which and if you talk about you know, traveling through space, for example, you're often also talking about shipping and shipping costs or insurance values and all these parts of the curating. But that's also, again, why I like to keep the, to have the governance and the admin and everything and the leadership and the HR somehow, you know, to have control on that in order to, you know, free up space <laughs> and, and, and let any kind of artwork thrive there. That excites me and, uh, and that an artist finds worthwhile to to put into the world and that's yeah that's 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 it and i think evolving works very much interests me but of course also the durational the unexpected that can be from you know algorithms till you know long performances or iterations of performances it can be about new technologies being explored and it also can be about an artist that goes back to a whole different medium and that's that's very exciting. Where it becomes maybe a little less exciting is when you sense that someone has to or feels that they have to adapt to the markers. Although also there, when there's preciseness and informedness, it can become also very exciting, uh, of course, because it's, it's also recognizing that we are all laborers and, and how you then do your labor or maybe perform your labor and stand above it even or above the power structures that you don't want to be dependent on. My most favorite question is to ask, what would you do if you weren't a curator? Which, you know, doesn't have to be hyper-realistic. It can be also, you can keep, uh, you can answer this question from really a, a space of fantasy and childhood desires. So, yeah, I very much believe in making my fantasies happen if they're good. <laughs> so there's two. One is very much related to food. So I would say maybe a food critic or a chef because I really, but I think food critic. I, I like to, I like that even more than making things myself. 
but knowing how it is made and, and write about it, of course, that would be, it's always a mischance. And it, I don't think it will happen again because I think you need to learn about this in a very at a very young age, somehow you start with it early in your path. And the other thing would maybe be something in governance or leadership. So maybe, I don't know, maybe even a minister or something. Not really uh, politics, uh, maybe also, but more like in a governance moment already. Like, uh, yeah, I can, but really also because I believe in actually that artistic people can lead. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And not only artistic environments. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, so. That's could, uh, could be a reality for you in, uh, in you know in a few years' time. Yeah, but the food critic would be fun. Another yeah. few years' time, I think it would be more something for way beyond when you're like a very experienced person, yes. etc. But the food, yeah, this is a mischance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like those. Are good. Those are very good answers. But both of them are also I can relate them somehow to to curatorial practice or you know the importance of governance already in your work and mediation being a food critic is very i feel like that's very similar also to working in arts as a curator i think it's about care or at least in a way that i think i can take care hopefully and nourishing and um yeah yeah great opening up the senses too Mm. (laughs) anything yeah I don't know how relevant this question is anymore because we started this project during the like the height of the pandemic and we had all of these kind of thoughts on how curating would be changed by the pandemic after we kind of came out of it and now we're sort of wondering has anything changed really so the question is like have has your practice been affected by the pandemic and do you feel like there's any like after effect good or bad well i think professionally and personally people have gone through a crisis are still in it and that somehow also i mean it brings pain and trauma and it's asks for repair but it also gives new insights and and huge curves of learning and learning curves how do you say it and and i think that somehow happens i mean yeah with people around me maybe also myself and of course i made some big steps to i mean not big steps but in uh, different steps moving here etc and yeah you can see that you know this apocalyptic end of the world kind of thinking that somehow was already there before the pandemic now seems to change into again more hope or more feeling of agency change uh, on um yeah i'm very much looking forward to documents for example how you that can also do that as communities and collectives and in togetherness how we can move beyond the capital that is around the ego how we can somehow get rid of you know the opinion culture somehow and media uh, making you know everything into information rather than into and maybe also clickbait rather than into actual conversation narration uh, literature even poetic elements i think there's some resilience happening a resistance against the things that were pushing us towards the end of the world and maybe still are but it seems that there is at least in the art world a positive winds going around so i'm I'm happy about that because there have been grim moments. I'm sure you had them too as well. And then it's, 
yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, we all want people to be happy. So it would be, uh, so it's good to see that there's more, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seems that the joy is coming back and, mm. and I hope that can, and it's already leading, but I hope it can lead more into action and agency and making change, albeit on smaller levels, because I think everything resonates. And especially when you work together and in togetherness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love to end on that hopeful yes. note. Yes, this is very nice. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, for your time as well. This was our last episode for now. We hope to be back with more conversation soon. But for now, thank you to our guests for their time and to you for listening. If you have feedback, we'd love to receive your email at I hope this message finds you well, gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at I hope this message and find us on SoundCloud under the same handle. Our jingle was by the artist duo Momuno S, and our sound engineer is Nick Thomas. Here's